Welcome to Triple Zeros. I'm your host, Josh Buckhalter. Uh, man, a big week in the sports world and a really sad week if you are a Chicago sports fan as I am and have to cover it and write about the sorry, sorry happenings that went on the past few days um, around here. So, that being said, we're going to jump right into it. Um, first thing, on Sunday, the Bears faced the Packers for the umpteenth time. Um, it's the oldest rivalry in football. Uh, the Bears lost the game. The, the, that's not important, okay? That's the the season. The Bears uh, are right now seven and seven, and are fighting to make it to eight and eight. They face the Chiefs next week. Um, they wrap up the season with the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, but what made this game bad was that the Packers got a uh, fajangled early touchdown, whatever. Uh, plenty of time to overcome that, so that shouldn't have been that big of a of a of a detriment to the overall game. Um, but the Bears reverted to their 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 play calling. Where Matt Nagy reverted to his play calling in a shell where it was just out of order, out of whack. Um, by the way, I need to go ahead and get this out of the way because I always forget to do this. Uh, follow me on Twitter, at Josh G. Buck. Uh, read the football stuff, last word on pro football, and the basketball stuff. We'll talk about that later. Uh, at Pimpin' Ain't Easy. But back to what I was saying. Matt Nagy went back into this shell of being conservative and calling a game plan, which I wrote for last word on pro football uh, in that the article called... Uh, Chicago Bears 2018 or 2019 was everything that 2018 wasn't. Um, he decided to to stop moving the pocket and uh, the run game faltered again, and they just seemed to be very conservative in their approach to uh, getting the Packers uh, off balance and attacking them. Something that we saw the Redskins even uh, have a chance do last week. So, and the Bears have been doing for the past month. So it was odd to see. And then at the end of the game, um, in frustration. For understandable reasons, um, Mitchell Trubisky got on the podium and was asked. I want to make that clear that he was asked. He did not come up with this by uh, I, I, just at random. Um, he was asked about the game plan and he, and what they could have done. And he was he mentioned that uh, he wasn't sure why they didn't try to move the pocket more with how ferocious the Green Bay pass rush is. And uh, he he noted just mixing it up a little bit more variety. Basically, he was asking for the things that they had been doing the previous weeks. Um, which is a very fair criticism. However, I will say that I think it's odd for Trubisky to call out, which is what this is. This is calling out Matt Nagy. Let's not let's make no bones about it. The person who calls the plays, who designs the offense, is Matt Nagy, the head coach. Um, saying this calls him out, but Matt Nagy has been Trubisky's biggest supporter, most vocal by far, and to go in front of the media like that. Uh, and while he played an all right game. That's an all right game for his standards, and it still wasn't good enough. Um, he still missed wide open receivers. So my my real problem here is this is the pot calling the kettle black. Um, yes, there were some flaws with that game plan, but even with those flaws, quote-unquote, in that game plan, there was still enough there for Trubisky to be able to take over if he felt the need to. I'm, I mean, if, if it's that, if you really feel like you're being hindered, break out I, that's kind of what they're waiting for you to do is take command of this offense and so it kind of just was more of that you know putting the pushing the blame off and I it, it's funny because he blamed Matt Nagy and it's almost Matt Nagy's fault in the sense that uh for the longest time the fan base has wanted Nagy to call P- Trubisky out publicly for his mistakes and Nagy has not done so and he even defended him today um saying that he understood the emotions of after the game and not taking it uh to heart what the quarterback had to say about him. And that's fair. That's what you want the coach to say, keeping the, an even even keel um, in a very rough season. But like I said, for Trubisky to go out there and have the season that he's had, have the, the, the show the lack of awareness in the pocket, the lack of feel for the game, look like he hasn't played quarterback at times. For him to go out there and call out his, court, his, his head coach's game plan was odd. 
Um, now I'm not in the locker room. I'm not in the meetings. I don't know if he's done this in the privacy of the of that in that in that space. But that seems like a much more appropriate place for him to go out and say, "Hey, coach, we need to be moving the pocket more." And if you recognize that these are the things that you are good at, why aren't they? Why why didn't you say this before? If it, if you are feeling so vocal now, frustration's been boiling over in the city. So again, this is this is it's funny because I'm, I'm 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 I didn't get it from Trubisky. I don't understand how he has the leg to stand on in this in this uh this this argument here. But at the same time, it's Matt, Matt Nagy's fault for for doing what head coaches do with young quarterbacks who they're ostensibly tied to for their career, uh, for their head coaching job. He he coddled him, and now it was almost like a defiant child who's been spoiled. And I kind of felt like the uh, it kind of felt like the Diddy meme from from with, with the the guy on stage staring him back and forth, and I'm just looking like, oh wow. And I had to read it twice because I just couldn't. I couldn't fathom that that Trubisky would call. I, I you know, again, like Nagy said, it was right after the game. He doesn't take any offense to it. That's fine, but <laughs> it definitely sounded like a little bit more than just a oh, it's nothing. A little bit he because you know he was calm. He was very calm. Um, and it's funny because we've been talking about how their emotions have been changing throughout the season, and Nagy's uh, passion. And his, his, his enthusiasm at one point became kind of a, a resentment towards the media for asking him, I don't want to say the tough questions, but the tough questions and, and trying to find out what's wrong with his team. A little pushback from him we, we, you kind of experience in the middle of the season. Um, and Trubisky's had moments where he's seemed uh, less than confident. He seemed shaky, uh, unsure what to say. He's come out and blatantly said that he was told to say things at times. So this one didn't have that feel. It seemed very calm and collected and very resolute in what he was about to say. Even if it was a question asked to him, um, it just seemed like a, a weird, no, nah, it, it was wrong. It was a bad thing to say because, again, the locker room would have been perfect. Um, if you felt this way, could have said it a long time ago. And, again, I'm pretty sure they would have been perfectly fine with you saying, getting in the huddle and saying, you know what, we're running this because I feel like this will get us a good play. So I, I, it was kind of, yeah, you're right, but you're wrong at the same time, which, you know, kind of been the 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 story of Trubisky's career he's up and down and that was the other thing that I took away from the the game ultimately um and if you've if you've been reading the last word on pro football stuff for me I've kind of um I had gotten off from covering their game to game because I just didn't see the the longevity in this season then they kind of got on that little win streak that fool's gold win streak and I had to go back to it Um, we're back to the retool now but I, I I propose in there that this is who he is. The inconsistency is who he is. So we, we keep wondering what's his ceiling and can he ever get that, you know, find that other, uh, that other, or that other level. Find, you know, reach the plateau that we've seen the, the guys who were taken after him and Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes reach. I'm not sure we can because I don't think he can play consistent enough for an extended stretch uh, to be that successful. Now, granted, there's a lot of stuff around him that needs to be worked on. And chances are they'll fix that first and then try to address him if it's still him after that. But in my non-paid-by-the-Chicago-Bears team (laughs) opinion, um, he's a lot of what's to blame. Like I said, even for all the flaws in Matt Nagy's game plans, you can look at the film and see plenty of open receivers that are being missed from the quarterback. And if you really have an issue with him not moving the pocket, you kind of have to look at what they say about those other quarterbacks who don't – who don't do particularly well from the pocket. You have to learn. Otherwise, you're going to get killed. And Trubisky's already had two shoulder injuries and a hip injury that got him pulled. Hip injury. They got him pulled from a game. So I'm not necessarily against uh, the coach trying to keep him pocket-bound in an offense that will get receivers open for you. So 
that was my little rant on the Bears was they got officially eliminated from uh, officially eliminated from postseason contention. It was hurtful. It was a long time coming. It was kind of bittersweet though, because now you don't have to really stress about it anymore and worry about all oh, with the Vikings. The Vikings won, which was the other they they obliterated the Chargers, which was the other part of why the Bears are eliminated. But it just it was just uh, one of those games where you, where you watched it and you just could immediately feel that the Bears didn't have the energy despite Akeem Hicks returning and showing to be a, a, a real animal out there. Um, Prince of Mukamara had to get pulled. I'm I'm not sure he'll be back with the team next year. Him, um, it's a lot of a lot of a lot of key players that might not be in the same positions. The Bears have to create some money somehow because um, they're going to have to bring in some competition for at the quarterback spot. What kind they bring in will definitely dictate how serious they are about addressing it. But um, if they fix everything else and they still are with Trubisky, I can see them actually being the same as they were last year, no matter what their schedule is. I just don't think that they have enough to get over that hump that you need uh, from Trubisky. I just, I'm, if he's if he holds true to his comp of Alex Smith, he will be successful in his next stop. That's not to say I want him to be unsuccessful uh, here or you know in Chicago. I prefer it that way, obviously, but it just doesn't seem to be a thing where that'll happen. And when you have moments like this, when you'll bite the hand that's been feeding you, woof. Like I said, Nagy's game plans have a lot of of flaws in it, but the one thing he's been consistent with is supporting his quarterback through all of his crap. And to get that thrown back at you, man, that had to be like a little a little kick in the nards. Like, oh, okay. All right, sucker, I'm going to roll the pocket out and have you just be unblocked for the, the next two games. Um, moving on, the Cleveland Browns. Um, everybody heard the story about Odell Beckham, and we have seen the pictures of him talking to um, Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, and basically making a campaign, the story broke that he wanted to get out of the Brown, out of Cleveland. Um, off of the Browns and that sinking ship that's just, they, they lost to the Cardinals, which is funny. Um, we'll get to that why in a second. But I just thought it was interesting that uh, that story broke so loudly. And then it's a little bit quieter today when you hear that, oh, Jarvis Landry was talking to the Cardinals sideline saying, hey, come get me. Um, this is a team, the Browns, man, that have disappointed to to, to know. And um, I don't think anybody would have predicted that uh, when the season started, Again, we we were learning, we're learning, right? Which means we'll never learn. Um, that that preseason hype machine is a dangerous thing. Um, not only did it have the Bears, Super Bowl bound, and Mitchell Trubisky an MVP candidate, but it had the Browns making the playoffs, um, breaking their playoff drought, and and bringing some hope to that city. Instead, we have two the two top receivers wanting to get out. The quarterback struggling to uh, be uh, that guy. The Browns sitting at six and eight, third place in their division right now. Um, like I said, just got whooped on by the Cardinals. It's just not a good good time for for the Cleveland Browns right now. And I just wonder where is the blame going to ultimately fall on when it's all said and done? Um, is it going to be on Freddie Kitchens and him being in and over his head after getting a job a, a job based on the fact that the quarterback likes him, which is usually how it works, but he clearly was woefully underqualified. Um, will it fall on Odell Beckham, the polarizing receiver who everybody already loves to blame for everything, who they've already blamed for this? Uh, Mike Francesa, in part, uh, tried to blame Odell for this, saying that he's tearing the locker room apart. And it's a, it, But what's funny, what the funny part was about the Francesa tweet was that he uh, said this while he was still, uh, or in the same tweet, he said that 
the Browns are a dumpster fire and that it's Odell Beckham's fault and that he's trying to wreck another and that he's going to wreck another locker room. I'm not sure how you wreck a locker room when you are already in a dumpster fire. I'm, I, how do you wreck a dumpster fire? So you put it out. I don't understand what he was trying to go for. And that just shows you that they just that people just want to call out Beckham at times because, you know, they want to uh, they just want to be right. You know, that's just how it is. A confirmation bias is a mofo. Let me just, you know, put that plain and simple. So, um, hearing about Landry wanting out to, I don't want to say it's vindication for Beckham, but it's kind of like, look, it's he's not, it's not just him. It's almost like the Michael Jackson song. He's not, you are not alone. <laughs> he's not the only one that wants out. And again, will it fall on him? Probably. Will it fall on Landry? Probably not. Landry's a pretty quiet uh, guy uh, overall. Beckham, or not Beckham, I'm sorry, Mayfield, that's possible. I'm not sure. People still love him. He still has a little bit of the, of the, the Ricky Sheen on him, the, you know, that's how that goes. Um, there's some other reasons people like him. You know, the moxie, whatever. That'll quickly become braggadocio and annoying if the losing continues. That's We've seen that story play out before, too. Um, but it'll probably be Kitchens, and it'll probably be the receivers who will go, and then they'll say that the locker room is happy and everything's good. Um, but we see that, as we saw many times before, the NFL is not a place where you can buy a title. You can't put together things like that and expect to go out and win a championship. It just doesn't work that way. Um, you can plug in a position, but you can't put together all these type of things so fast under such an, an inexperienced leadership and expect it to uh, be a cohesive unit um, in any way, shape, or form, especially in the NFL where a lot of it is so built on just working and functioning as one. Uh, moving on, the Jaguars are in hot water for putting the squeeze on players. They find... Uh, Dante Fowler, $700,000 for missing about, I think, 23 mandatory, and that's air quotes, mandatory appearances with or, or treatments at the team facilities. Um, first and foremost, it's against the rules for those treatments to be mandatory. Uh, it's also, obviously then, against the rules for him to, for him to be filed, uh, for him to be uh, fined for missing said treatments. So when you go back and you look, at the, the statement, um, lengthy statement, so bear with me, but here's a statement from the uh, NFLPA. In recent decision from a grievance filed by our union, an arbitrator affirmed that under the CBA, clubs cannot require rehabilitation or medical appointments at team facilities during the off-season and pre-training camp period. Okay. Uh, historically, our union has fought hard to secure broad freedoms for players after the season ends. For that reason, the CBA limits what a club may require of players during the off-season. During, despite this, excuse me, the Jacksonville Jaguars recently decided that they would require injured players to get all offseason rehab at the Jaguars facility. When players failed to attend these mandatory, quote-unquote, offseason rehab sessions in Jacksonville, they were disciplined by the club. In response, the NFLPA filed a grievance challenging the club's rights to discipline a player in those circumstances. For example, during the 2018 offseason program, the Jaguars fined a player 25 times for missing, quote-unquote, mandatory appointments with the club trainer or physician. All told, the player was fined over $700,000 for missing off-season appointments. This is just one of the many grievances we had to file to protect our players from the Jaguars' actions. The jointly appointed arbitrator rejected the Jaguars' arguments that they had a right to find a player for not rehabbing at the club facility. He held that with limited exceptions, off-season activities are strictly voluntary, quote-unquote, and no club, or quote, excuse me, 
and no club can make those activities mandatory. The decision puts a stop to the blatant overreach by the Jaguars and emphasizes the voluntary nature of almost all football activities during the offseason. It should be noted that the Jaguars players continue to be at odds with Jaguars management over their rights under the CBA far more than players on other clubs. In the last two years, more than 25% of the grievances filed by players in the entire league have been filed against the Jaguars. And here's the kicker right here. You as players may want to consider this when you have a chance to select your next club. Boom. Fam, that's some that's some damning stuff right there. They are literally telling team or, or potential free agents to consider other places than the Jacksonville Jaguars, considering the fact that 25% a quarter of the league's complaints filed against teams have come against the Jacksonville Jaguars, which is wild because Shad Khan has got such a positive public image to have this be the other side of it is just wild. Dante Fowler confirmed that he was the one being filed uh, up to $700,000. Uh, said that he got it all back thanks to this grievance. But wow. Just wow. <laughs> and then, like I said, that final line is just like, oh, oh, a word? So, look, consider this when when, fi- when you're next to have a chance. Read, let me read it verbatim one more time just to get it right. U.S. players may want to consider this when you have a chance to select your next club. Fam. I... The Jaguars already had a trouble prior to their recent uh, rebirth, I guess, re- renaissance of getting free agents to come there. This ain't going to help. We see now why Jalen Ramsey wanted out. Dante Fowler got out. and Like, wow. Wow. That fan base has had to endure a lot uh, after Blake Bortles and then this foolishness. And then, again, like I said, to be to have all that with Shaq Khan having the image that he has, that's surprising to me. Um and then a couple of quick personal stories, not for me, but uh, uh, player stories, individual stories. Josh Gordon received an indefinite ban from the NFL. He failed another test. Um, just want to say, hope that brother gets his life together. Um, he is definitely battling some demons. I watched the uh, uninterrupted on him, and it sounded like he had understood, but it also sounded like you could see where he could slip up again in what he was saying. So um, fo- football secondary. Life comes first. Health comes first. Get yourself right. Hopefully, you can get back into the game. If not, that doesn't even matter. Get yourself right for your long-term health. Um, Antonio Brown. Uh, he ranted over his locked-up vehicle. I believe it was a Bentley. Um, he posted on Twitter that he wanted somebody to go get it. And the tweet obviously made no sense because it was Antonio Brown. Um, we already know how that goes. Uh, he, I want to say that he that it's, it's kind of... A surprise, but it's really not because we know that the that he's he's had these outbursts before, and he's deleted the tweet since. Um, but he was calling for somebody a tow truck, anybody with a tow truck to go and get his car at the lot. Like you can't go out here and have these outbursts because they're going to use that against you to keep you out of the league. He's a talented guy. Um, I don't want to say anything's wrong with him. I don't know his mental health, mental stability. I know that what he shows shows a very uh, erratic person with very erratic behavior and and uh hostile tendencies uh, to, or tendencies to lash out at people when he doesn't get his way um again that's just one portion of the person but that's the portion that he's putting out there and using it to defend himself so it is questionable to say the least again he deleted that tweet that i was going to mention here about uh getting his car to the pound in pound so that is to be said that is for that is what it is but uh that's just something to keep an eye on because as one Receiver is going to be gone for a long time. Josh Gordon, um, AB is out here ranting. Meanwhile, rumors are spreading that teams are interested. And if he would stop tweeting, 
that they would be more than willing to give him another chance as soon as his uh, dealings with the NFL are over, which likely means that the, the dealings will be over sooner rather than later if he would just shut the hell up. But we'll see how long that lasts. I got, again, he deleted the tweet, but we'll see if he's able to uh, maintain that radio silence. Switching over to the NBA, um, the Chicago Bulls blew a 26-point lead to the Oklahoma City Thunder now. I'm going to get this one thing that works in their favor out of the way right now because this is about to be a crap storm. I'm <laughs> just going to be honest with you. The Thunder are the eighth seed. Coming into the night, they were the eighth seed into the, in the West. I'm not sure they're going to change. Uh, I'm, I got to look at the rest of the, the standings. Um, if they move up, they wouldn't move down. Um, yeah, they, they lost blew a 26-point lead that they had late in the game, fourth quarter. Um, Boylan made some questionable line of decisions again. Uh, Lowry's still MIA, mostly on the boards. Kobe was was a no-show because he's a rookie, so you really shouldn't be counting on him anyway. Um, <laughs> Zach almost had 40, though. I don't know what to tell you. Um, and then the, the, the thing that makes it worse is the postseason, uh, postseason post-game remarks by uh, Vice President of Basketball Operations John Paxson, in which he addressed Boylan and his status. And it was a satirical take on Blockable, um, but they were giving you some quotes from, from uh, afterwards, and this one was most concerning. I'm in lockstep with Jim and his commitment to where we want to get to. That's not wavering at all. Well, where do you want to get to? Because uh, there doesn't seem to be a plan here. For all the talk of a new offense, what necessarily is it? Multiple ball handles. Well, that doesn't work to the benefit of at least one of your players. We see that clearly. Um, I'm not sure that how any more than two players fit in the same system. And I'm not sure that the Bulls really have a system other than before it was just, okay, drive to the basket and try to get a foul. Now it's kind of same thing, a little bit of that, but also let's shoot some threes. They're still not passing the ball around very much. They're still having a lot of uh, uh, empty trips. They're not doing much on the glass. You have Wendell Carter as the only guy in double figures and rebounds. What do you expect? Again, I know Lowry is a perimeter guy or, or, or out of the paint guy mostly because you want him to use that shooting touch. But he's got to do some dirty work too, man. Uh, I tweeted out the other night after the game. Uh, I can't remember what game it was against, but he had 17 boards. And I said, you know, that might be my favorite side of the night. Um, against the the the, the Clippers, uh, without Kawhi, without Lou Will, <laughs> and without, um, who else did they not have? I think Shaman had just come back. Um, no Pat Bev either that night. That's what it was. Uh, and I tweeted out that the 17 boards from Lowry that game were probably my favorite stat of the night. Because there are going to be games when his shot's not falling. We've seen a lot of those already start the season. But at seven feet tall, there's no excuse for him to have not even like to not get close at least to double digit rebounds on a nightly basis. If Wendell's growing, grinded out mentality can get himself double digit points and boards, Lowry should definitely be able to get uh, points and then get himself some uh, up to around ten boards. He's sitting at the five. He's getting the fours and threes. That's too much. Now, if that's a function of the offense, and the offense needs to change because you're wasting his talent. You're overexerting Wendell, and you're not giving um, anybody else any much tick. And that was concerning, too. Um, I'm going to switch back real quick to, to the rest of the performance, but I want to uh, talk about the minutes distribution. Um, I had mentioned a couple of weeks ago about Daniel Gaffer getting more time on Pippen Ain't Easy. And in this game tonight, we see that he, again, didn't – he had one minute. You're struggling on the boards. You're not getting much from anybody outside of your, your center who ha, who's having trouble staying at his double-digit pace on rebounds as well. Why does Daniel Gafford have one minute? Now, maybe it was something that I missed, and that's possible. 
I, but I didn't get an explanation. I still don't see an explanation for it. I'm just wondering what's going on. That's one of my biggest gripes with Boylan is his lineups don't seem to have any rhyme or reason to them. They don't have a feel for the moments of the game. Um, and I've made this comparison before. I'm going to make it again. Boylan is, is the perfect, is the happy medium for management uh, between a Tom Thibodeau and a Fred Hoiberg. He's got the rah-rah look and sound and the if you're not paying too much attention, the feel of what a Tom Thibodeau brings, but he also won't stand up to management. He won't uh, ruffle any feathers like Fred Hoiberg. So the Bulls are in a tough place. Oh, also, Pac called Boylan a grinder because now he's talking like him too. They're sharing each other's uh, uh, <laughs> delusions and are quite pleased with what's going on and say that they're right on track and they're just going to keep on going and they know that everybody is... Uh, really wanting to to speed things up, but they're not gonna they're not gonna rush this process. In an era where we're seeing turnarounds happen year to year, they're not gonna rush this process. Fifteen years on the job, not a not not a Easter Conference Finals berth, or I'm sorry, not a not a Finals berth. You made it to the Easter Conference Finals, uh, not a, not a Finals berth. Fifteen years. Okay, I just look. Look, when they're rebuilding again, because they're, they're heading for another rebuild, because I don't think the pieces fit. We'll talk out. My article coming out should be out tomorrow or maybe Wednesday uh, on who should go and who should stay. There's some pieces here that just clearly don't fit. We had the report of Thad coming out and being upset about his playing time. And I was, at first I was like, how dare he be upset? But then I thought about it. Thad was playing 30 minutes on a playoff team. He's playing 20, and it had been, it had been dropping recently, too. Um 20 to, to, to like 19 and 18 like hold on i'd be a little bit salty too especially if we're losing if the guy in front of me is not doing nothing i'm still not playing and i was a starter on a playoff team man again that goes back to the boiling not having uh not seeing me like he has any grasp on what's going on in the game um and then you have uh players taking pictures at the end of the game that's not that big of a deal but they just they seem to have tuned him out um you had kobe white and wendell carter taking a picture with chris paul Obviously, you know the connection between Kobe and Chris, but um, Windows and Smiling Head, it's just funny. Like I said, it, to see them having blown that big of a lead, you think they'd be a little bit more salty, and that might be a function of the coach. I don't think it's nearly that necessarily a big of a deal. Still kind of early in the regular season, um, but they suck, and they're not in a good a, a spot to be, I guess, taking t- too many more of these L's lightly. Uh, so that's, that's overall not a good look, but that just goes again to show you how little uh, control and, and influence or how little... Uh, sway Boylan has right now with that group. I think he's losing them, and the Bulls are losing their fan base, uh, committing the fan base to being more patient and, and just wanting to see more try hard out of these guys instead of actually wanting good teams. I've never heard that in my life. Never heard that in my life. Heard it today. Read it today. It's crazy. That's where that, This is where the Bulls are at. Um, hopefully they pull it out. Who knows? Long season ahead still. I'm not. Sure, I'm not even sure what they would do to blow it up. I'm not sure what you bring back for any of the pieces. Maybe you get something for Zach, but Zach's your best player. And you can talk about his deficiencies, but they're clear, and you can play. You can build around him if you know what you're doing. So that, that's the Bulls' rant. Um, switching over to the West uh, Western Conference, the Golden State Warriors released a promotional video celebrating their past um, era of the decade for them and what it brought. Uh, oddly, though, they decided to omit one person, one seven-foot person, Six foot ten, 
uh, Kevin Durant was not anywhere in the, it was only about an 18 second clip, but the man won two finals and two finals MVPs there. As you've seen on the Twitter repeatedly in multiple forms, uh, wording, whatever, that's what he did there. And they didn't put him in the video at all. That reinforces the, the thoughts about what, why Kevin Durant left when you are constantly being made to feel like an outsider Eventually, you'll just make yourself an outsider. You'll be outside. Um, and he spoke on that many times since the departure. And we just we had a joke from, um, from I believe it was from Joe Lacob, talking about um, they'll get the other deals done before, you know, because they've, they've been there longer, and this, that, and the third, before working on KDs. Um, little jabs like that, especially for guys as, I don't want to say sensitive, because sensitive has such a negative connotation, but somebody is so aware of what's being said is Kevin Durant that had to hit home with him and had to make him feel like, Oh, okay. You know, one of those just, Oh, all right. Subtle head nod. Um, and as a guy who's not, uh, shout out to what I'd love to hear his feedback on, on, on that and this move. I'm sure somebody will get it out of him. I would love to hear what he feels about it, about them. Uh, like I said, omitting him completely from the video celebrating their error. That's harsh. That's cold-blooded, man. I don't know if it gets much more cold-blooded than that when he literally made the team unguardable and, and by many accounts saved them from embarrassment of having to go out there and face a full-strength uh, Cavaliers team. Um, and other quick wrap-up player dudes for the NBA. Uh, the Mavs down the Milwaukee Bucks, breaking their 18-game win streak ahead of their matchup with the Lakers, the Bucks-Lakers on the, this weekend. That would have been great. But the Mavs did so without Luka Doncic. Um, they did it off of the strength of Chris Porzingis. Giannis had 48, and it still didn't, wasn't enough. Chris Middleton is not that guy. I've said that. I didn't understand them forcing the money to him over Brogdon. I'm not saying that Brogdon is necessarily that guy either, but I think there's a little bit more versatility in what Brogdon does, and that's probably just me not being a, a, a avid watcher of Milwaukee Bucks basketball, but I just felt like there was a much more diversity in the skill set, or it was a much better compliment to Giannis. Um, what Brogdon does than what Middleton does. But Middleton, I, I've always been told that I've been too low on him, so he still has a chance, but I just don't think that he's the one, or he's the, the, the number two option that they think he is. That's my personal opinion. And then, wrap it up with this one right here, Omari Stoudemire. Stat says he wants to make a comeback to the NBA at about 39 years old, 38 years old, 37 years old, something like that. I gotta, I gotta hold on, I have this number. Why do I, I always forget the age? I, I, this is the worst, because I know his age. And I was just talking about this earlier, so that just makes it all the more uh, apropos that I would forget exactly how old Amari Stoudemire is. So um, if you'll forgive me as I get this proper age, he says he wants to make a return to the NBA, spent the last few years overseas. Um, as you know, big stories about him and, and being, you know, getting in touch with his uh, Hebrew, 37, getting in touch with his um, Hebrew roots and this, that, and the third, and the other. Stat one to come back. I'm not sure. He can give somebody some minutes off the bench. But a lot of what he was able to do was off of his off of his athleticism. Um, he is very skilled, though. And again, some bench minutes, you know, some mentorship. I haven't been able to watch him overseas, so I can't tell you where he's at physically. But at thirty-seven, I he he could he could play the Tyson Chandler role, but offensively. Um, Amar Stoudemire was one of my favorite players back in the day. When he was at his peak, when he was one <laughs> on the Suns, that was my guy. Uh, it's just crazy to see his name pop back up now and think that, man, he's really out here trying to come back. 
Go ahead. I ain't mad at you. I'm not even. I'm not even upset, boy. You know, do what you gotta do. Um, that's gonna do it for this episode of Triple Zeros, man. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me on Twitter at Josh G Buck on Facebook at Jukes Jumps. Um, the website jukesandjumpers.wordpress.com, and of course the uh, email is jukesandjumps at gmail.com. Um, of course, read the works at lastwordonprofootball.com, and of course on. Uh, Pippin ain't easy, and of course, be like I said, be sure to look out for that Bulls article coming out either tomorrow or the day after, and the Bears article about how 2019 is everything that 2018 wasn't. Uh, until the next time, when I see you, see you when I see you. Peace.